Let's pray, and we'll ask God for his help. Let's pray. Almighty God, our gracious and holy Heavenly Father, we thank you for Matthew's Gospel. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to look together at it over this last 12 months. Uh, we thank you so much for the person of Jesus whom we have been uh, reading about. We thank you for his teaching and for his miracles. We thank you for the fact that he is our King and our Saviour who lived and died on the cross and rose again from the dead for us. Please help us now to understand this last little bit of Matthew's Gospel. Help us not just to understand, though, but to put into practice what we read, that we may be uh, obedient to the teachings of our Lord Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, nowadays, it seems people love graduation ceremonies. There's a graduation ceremony for every occasion. Uh, last week, I was invited to a graduation ceremony for my niece from preschool. She hasn't even started school yet. She's already a graduate. Uh, my kids have to graduate from infant school at the end of year two. Then they graduate from primary school at the end of year six. Then from school at the end of year 12. And then if they go on to study further, they will have more graduations. On each occasion, everybody gets dressed up. There are prizes and awards and speeches. And then when that's finished, they can move on to the next phase of their lives. I don't remember any graduations at my school. I um, certainly never graduated from preschool. There were no graduations in my primary school. I don't even remember having a graduation when I finished year 12. I mean, maybe they had one and didn't invite me or something like that. But I certainly didn't go to any graduation from year 12. Uh, I didn't, show up for my I didn't uh, bother showing up for my first university graduation. I don't know what happened there. I only showed up for my second one because Carmelina, my now wife, and my parents made me go on the day. But I do remember the occasion. It was early in 1991. We dressed up in those silly black Batman kind of gowns with those crazy hats that they wear. Um, Dr Fred Hollows gave a talk at my graduation and then I went up on stage and uh, got to shake Michael Kirby's hand as he gave me my degrees in psychology and law. And then everyone wanted a picture with me. Everyone wanted a picture. My parents, my grandparents and so on. I've come on and sent one photo, I think. There, there we go. <laughs> Haven't changed a bit, have I? <clears throat> that's, uh, that's my grandma there, Sipora Aronson, my Orma, as I called her. Uh, she passed away in 1998, but she was there very happy on the day. Um, I didn't win any prizes at our graduation. I was a very average student. But uh, there's also a photo of Carmelina here. She graduated on the same day. Uh, I think she won the prize for cutest, uh, cutest law graduate on the day. And everyone wanted a photo with her. Some of you might recognise Peter Lynn there, now the uh, Anglican minister at Bosley Park. Everyone was desperate to have a photo with Carmelina on that day. Thanks, uh, thanks, Roland. So we had our graduation. And for me, that was pretty much the end of my life in psychology and law. University was over, I got the piece of paper, and then I moved on to the next phase of my life. Within a couple of years, I went off to Bible college. I've hardly looked at a law book or a psychology book ever since. That part of my life finished. A couple of years ago, Warren uh, Esdale had a graduation. He got his Master of Arts in Theology. And I remember him saying something similar. He said, fantastic, that's finished. Now I never have to read another book in my life. Well, today is a bit like a graduation ceremony. 
For the last 12 months, we've been working through Matthew's Gospel, 45 sermons, 45 Bible studies, if I've counted rightly. It's more than you'll work on your average internet degree, I think. Uh, Today is our last study together, and I reckon we've earned a graduation ceremony. Uh, I wasn't sure how to celebrate, except, of course, with our baptisms that we had last week and many more today. Um, I didn't think I should get you all to wear gowns for the day. Don't have any certificates for you, I'm sorry. Obviously, I couldn't invite the late Fred Hollows, um, and I wouldn't invite Michael Kirby. And uh, I, I couldn't really think of any prizes to give you. Carmelina could still get the prize for cutest Matthew graduate. Other than that, I couldn't think of any prizes for the rest of you. Uh, but, but even still, this is a bit of a graduation. We've come at last to the end of our studies in Matthew's Gospel. But as I look at this final passage... One thing strikes me. Unlike me with my university degrees, I don't think this can be the end of Matthew's gospel for our lives. The way Matthew ends, it doesn't allow us to kind of put his gospel behind us. We can't say, great, that's Matthew finished, pop it in a box, put it in a cupboard, never have to think about that again, now I can move on to the next phase of my life. I don't think Matthew allows us to do that because at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus leaves us with a job to do, a job that continues through till this day. As we've seen over the last couple of weeks, Jesus um, has been crucified as he predicted. He, He died on the cross and then exactly as he predicted on the third day after his death, Jesus' tomb was empty. The stone, the seal, the guards, nothing could stop him from rising again from the dead. An angel spoke to the women, do you remember? He gave the message, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. And then Jesus himself appeared. Jesus himself appeared, risen from the dead. He spoke to the women. Hello, he said. He said, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee And there they will see me. And so, as we pick up our passage today, the disciples do as they're told. They go. Now, a few weeks ago, we noticed the number of disciples here. Do you remember? There are 11. 11 of them. So that's all the disciples except for Judas, who who hung himself, we've learned already. So it it includes Peter who denied Jesus three times. It includes all the other ten disciples who deserted Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. Those 11 disciples, they're back together and they head off to Galilee. As promised, there they meet the risen King Jesus. They worship him as you would. But some of them, it says, are uncertain. They doubt. Now, maybe they are uncertain that it really is Jesus, These people are no more gullible than you or me. They're not expecting to see someone who was dead risen again from the dead. Perhaps they're doubtful that it really is Jesus. Or or possibly the uncertainty is more about how Jesus will receive them. I mean, the last thing that we heard about the disciples in Matthew's Gospel was that they'd abandoned Jesus and denied him. You can imagine now, as he's risen from the dead in glory and power, that they're feeling a bit uncertain about the idea of meeting with him. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. Have a look with me. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, 
They worshipped him, but some doubted. Some of the disciples are not sure, but Jesus is not angry. He, he comes to the disciples and he says that he has been given all power, all power in heaven, all power on earth. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now those of us who've been following Matthew's gospel will know that this is a reference to Daniel chapter 7. We've seen it over and over again, haven't we? And I've put it on your outline one more time. So this is from Daniel chapter 7. Can you see it there on the uh, left-hand side at the bottom? In my vision at night, I looked... And there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion, his rule, is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So you can see there Daniel is talking about a son of man, and of course that's what Jesus has been calling himself, isn't it? Right through, that's his preferred title for himself, the son of man. Um, there in Daniel, the son of man is given, he, he approaches God, and God gives him authority, glory, power, so that all peoples from everywhere have to worship him, and he's given a kingdom that will never be destroyed, he's, uh, an eternal kingdom. So that's the prophecy of Daniel. Now here is Jesus, risen from the dead, and he says, it's me. It's me. I am the son of man in Daniel's vision. I have been given all authority. God has given me all authority, made me king of heaven and earth. Now, of course, this is a culmination of a theme that, that we've been following all, all year, isn't it? Right through Matthew's Gospel. This idea that Jesus is king, that he is the ruler of, of everything and everyone. Let's, let's take it back through Matthew's Gospel. Way back, chapter 1, verse 1. How was Jesus even introduced to us? Jesus the Christ. That's the anointed king. The son of David. When Jesus was born, do you remember that the Magi came from the east and they asked a question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? When Jesus was baptised, God made his declaration, this is my son, quote from Psalm 2 about the king who rules the whole world. When Jesus was tempted, what did the devil offer him? All the kingdoms of the earth, if he'd only bow down and worship the devil. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus claims to be the Lord who determines who enters God's kingdom. Well, the, the, the miracles that we've been seeing, how Jesus heals the sick and drives out demons and calms the storm and raises the dead and feeds the 5,000 and walks on water, they're all expressions of his power, of his authority, showing who he is, the king. Jesus' parables. What were his parables about? The kingdom. It may seem small, he said, like a mustard seed. Might just be me and a few fishermen. But it's going to grow to be a great tree and it's incredibly precious, like a, a beautiful pearl. It's worth giving up everything to be part of this kingdom. Until finally, 
Uh, all this build-up to, to understand who Jesus is finally culminates in chapter 16 where the disciples start to get it. In chapter 16, verse 16, um, Peter says to Jesus, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But of course that still wasn't the full story. Because from then on, what did Jesus teach his disciples? He taught them that as king he had to suffer. He said, Matthew 20, 28, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's something that since chapter 16, nobody has been able to understand. Jesus has said it time after time after time, but no one has got it. Over the last few chapters, no one has believed that Jesus could be king. The religious leaders didn't believe it even though Jesus warned them. Do you remember um, when he was tried before the religious leaders? He said, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. They didn't believe it, not of a crucified man. Uh, Pilate didn't believe it. The crowds didn't believe it. The disciples didn't believe it, even though Jesus had told them. Even after all they'd seen, they still didn't believe that one who was crucified could be king. The soldiers, the soldiers who dressed Jesus up as a king and put the crown of thorns on, they didn't believe it. The the people who passed by as he was on the cross, they didn't believe it. It seemed impossible to believe that the king of heaven and earth could suffer and die as Jesus did. And yet here we are. The resurrection turns everything upside down. The crucified son of man has come on the clouds to God. God has raised him to life and God has given him all authority in heaven and on earth. He is who he claims to be, the king. And now, here in chapter 28, King Jesus has a job for his disciples to do. They need to bring Daniel chapter 7 to its fulfilment. They need to lead everybody, all peoples, nations and men of every language, to worship Jesus. They need to go into all the world and make disciples, gather people into Jesus' kingdom. Verse 19, chapter 28 and verse 19. Therefore, says King Jesus, (coughs) go and make disciples of all nations. It's interesting, that bit about all nations there. Do you remember back in chapter 10 when Jesus sent his disciples out, he said, don't go to the nations, don't go to the Gentiles, just stay in Israel. Well, now this message is for the whole world. Although if you think about it, that's been a theme right through, hasn't it? So if you go way back to chapter 1 and verse 1, Jesus introduces the Christ, the son of David, and the son of, do you remember, Abraham. Abraham, through whom God promised to bless all nations. Or they've just been little clues, little hints all the way through. Um, There was, do you remember the centurion's servant? Or the Canaanite woman's daughter? Or do you remember with the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus fed the 5,000 Jews, but then he went on to feed the 4,000 Gentiles as well. Or even there in the parables, that mustard seed was going to become a tree in which the birds of the air, the nations, would rest in its branches. Well, now here is the beginning of the fulfilment Jesus' disciples are forgiven for their failure and they're given this task to go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. 
course, that's beautifully illustrated here in Chatswood, isn't it? As I think about the kind of people who've been baptised over the last couple of weeks, we've got people from Singapore and from Hong Kong and from Indonesia and from Korea and from Iran and from even Australia. It's amazing, <laughs> all these different people who are, who are getting baptised in the last couple of weeks. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, Jesus then goes on to explain further about what that's going to mean to disciple people, to make people into disciples. And the first thing he says it means is to baptise people. And it's talking about water baptism, what we've seen over these last couple of weeks. Um, but it's more than just water baptism. It's what the water baptism represents. Jesus wants to get people to put their trust in him so that their sins are washed away and they join up with his people, become part of his kingdom. So verse 19 again. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And before I think more about baptism, just very interesting, it's a very strange expression if you think about it. The name, singular, one name, what name? The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's strange, isn't it? One name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. The Bible never mentions the word Trinity, but I can't see any other, any other explanation for it, can you? The, the three are one in Trinity, one name. Going back to the idea of baptising, though. Again, this is a culmination of a theme that's been right through Matthew's Gospel. The way into God's kingdom is not by being good. We cannot be good enough. The only way into God's kingdom is to submit to King Jesus and have him wash you clean from your sin. Again, it goes right back to the beginning of the gospel. When Jesus was born, he's called Jesus. Why is he called Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. Do you remember that? And then right through Jesus' teaching, I hadn't understood this until this year, until we've looked right through Matthew's gospel at the teaching of Jesus, all of his teaching, really from beginning to end, is meant to show people that they need to be washed clean from sin. It's meant to show people that we cannot get ourselves into God's kingdom. So you remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus set the bar so high. The whole introduction to it, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven, he said. He said, it's not enough to not murder or commit adultery or say the right oaths. He said, we need hearts that don't hate or lie or lust. He said, it's not enough to just go through the religious motions, give to the poor, pray fast. He said, you've got to do it with a genuine love for God. Jesus set that bar so high. Be perfect, he said, as your heavenly father is perfect. Or, do you remember that rich young ruler? A good Jewish boy. Blessed by God in the promised land. Kept the commandments of God. Jesus said it would be easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than to get this bloke into God's kingdom. Jesus said it's impossible for man. Possible only for God. We think about how Jesus has spoken to the religious leaders. These people who who think they are good enough to get themselves into God's kingdom, who think they can obey their way into God's kingdom, Jesus has ripped into them, hasn't he? He showed them up for the hypocrites that they were. Even for the disciples. Jesus has told them what to do. He's told them what it takes to be part of his kingdom. He said, you have to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. 
But in the final analysis, no one can do it. No one. Jesus died alone. Friends, do you get the message? We cannot get ourselves into God's kingdom. We need Jesus to wash us clean. That's the only way in, and it's magnificently symbolised in baptism. So, the disciples need to go to all nations, make more disciples. That means baptising, and uh, then these baptised people need to be taught. They need to be taught to obey their king, taught to obey everything that King Jesus has commanded. Back in verse 19 again, make disciples of all nations, baptising them, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And again, that's been a big feature of Matthew's gospel, hasn't it? Um, Jesus has taught his disciples how to live, how to love, how to forgive, how to be faithful in marriage, how to honestly worship God. This gospel's been full of the commands of Jesus. As his forgiven, washed, spirit-filled people, we need to be taught them and we need to obey. So there's the task. Make disciples of all nations, baptise and teach them. But that's not quite how Matthew ends. This is one more statement because Jesus doesn't just give his disciples a task. He also makes a promise. He promises to be present with them until the end of the world. And so Jesus proves to be Emmanuel, God with us. The end of verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, there it is. Uh, We've finished. Congratulations. You're officially a graduate from Matthew's Gospel. But the thing about this ending, it's not the end, is it? Let me try to explain what I mean. Those disciples had a job to do. The job, make disciples, baptise them, teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. But what's the last thing that Jesus commanded? Make disciples, baptise, teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. And so it goes on and on until it reaches you and me. Friend, this passage means for you that you need to become a disciple of King Jesus. You need to be baptised as we saw a number of people doing last week. You need to be washed clean from your sin through faith in Jesus. And you need to be taught everything Jesus has commanded. And that includes this last command. Now you need to go and make disciples, baptising them and teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded. And Jesus will be with you until the end of the age. Friends, can you see what that means? We can't say, great, that's Matthew finished. I never have to think about it again. This is not the end. This is just the beginning. You know, in America, I don't know if they do this for preschool, but they certainly do it in universities in America. They don't call, uh, when you finish university in America, they don't call it a graduation. Do you know what they call it? They call it a commencement. A commencement ceremony. That makes sense, I reckon, don't you? For most people, if you graduate in psychology, that's not the end of your career as a psychologist. It's just the commencement. 
It's just the beginning. The real work starts now. You can stop bludging and having six months of holidays every year at university. Now you actually start your work. Uh, it's the same with any degree, except maybe an arts degree. It doesn't really commence you on anything, does it? But uh, um, <clears throat> I've got an arts degree. Um, friends, I think for us it's a better term. We haven't graduated. We're not finished with the gospel. We've been commissioned to a great task. This is not the end. It's only the commencement. And so let, let me conclude by asking you this. What are you doing about it? What part are you playing in this great commission given by Jesus? What difference is it making to your life? What difference is it making to how you spend your time? What difference is it making to how you spend your money, your creativity, your energy? Jesus is your king. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And until this age ends, he's given you and me a job to do. This is not the end. It's the commencement. So friends, let's get to work. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank and praise you for our magnificent King Jesus. We thank you for his magnificent life, his teaching, his miracles, his perfect obedience to you. We thank you for his dreadful, dreadful death on the cross as he drank the cup of your wrath due upon our sin. And we thank you that you raised him from the dead and that he's come on the clouds to you and received all authority in heaven and on earth. Lord, we are struck that Jesus has left us this job to do, to make disciples. We feel very much inadequate for the job, but we remember Jesus' great promise to be with us to the end of the age. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that by your Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ might be with us and strengthen and empower us to do this task. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.